raise a couple more to the revolution. We have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another edition of the Q Zero Theater Cast. This is your host, Artistic Director Dan Pelletier. Here today, very excited to be bringing you this special edition of the Q Zero Theater Cast, continuing our interview series with important and often underappreciated people in the theater. And today we are discussing the creation process of an original musical. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar, or at least think they have an idea of what it takes to write a straight play without music and all that, but the process in creating a piece of musical theater is so much more involved and so much more detailed and complicated because you got to add music and not just any old music. you got to add music that furthers plot and develops characters and things like that and you got to know when to place it and justify the characters singing and create a cohesive world and sound and all of that but I'm getting ahead of myself so today I have an interview with local playwright and director Justin Scarelli whose piece Some Holiday premiered at the Players Ring last season and will be playing again at the Hatbox with some great revisions and updates and edits, but I'll let Justin tell you all that about that himself. So I'm going to throw it on back to our past selves so you can listen to this interview on the process, challenges, and joys of creating an original musical. I'm an original musical, original musical, those other shows can step through the rear. If you lend me your ear, I'm gonna ease all your fear and tell you all you need is what's right up here. Thanks, Justin, for agreeing to be on the podcast. Uh, for our listeners, why don't you give a little introduction about yourself, um, you know, a little bit on your background and you know, where you're from and what you're working on. Everybody out there who doesn't know me, my name is Justin Scarelli. I'm a New Hampshire native. I'm a writer, director. Um, my background is primarily been in film but about almost a year ago i decided to delve into uh the world of writing an original musical which has been all sorts of enlightening and um inspiring and challenging i also do some work with dive-in productions um doing some of their marketing and promotions in that arena. First big question is like, why a musical? What inspired you to make the transition from screen to stage? And then why specifically did you choose uh, a musical of all things? I don't know. I asked myself that question every other day. I, I think, I mean, I've, al- I've always loved the, the sort of construct of a musical. Um, I enjoy watching them and sort of uh, digesting um, that whole art and as well as you know, watching you know stage plays, but I think musicals have been particularly inspiring to me in my life. I wrote the original script to Some Holiday about ten years ago as a film because that was sort of my way in, and I filmed it, uh, you know, for very low budget back in two thousand nine, ten ish, and you know it played on a couple small indie screens around Concord in um, the Salem, Mass area which was pretty cool because I never expected it to even get 
that far. But I think in my back of my head, writing the script, I always wanted it to be a musical. I just didn't have the framework or the motivation or the know-how to sort of tackle a project like that. You know, obviously writing screenplays or or pilots for television, which was sort of my focus. Um, they're obviously very dialogue uh, driven. So the music aspect of it, even though I play a couple instruments, were, was not something I found easy to wrap my head around. And then last year I decided to sort of say, why not? I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to find the people and um, tools that I need to see if this can be a reality and uh, just sort of kind of went from there as it progressed. I find a lot of the best stories in arts and entertainment start with why not? And then we go from there. So you said, you you know, you play a few instruments, but like before this, have you had a lot of songwriting experience or was that also, um, you know, something new? I played piano on and off um, since middle school, high school. I'm not a savant by any means. I can I can find my way around a keyboard and I've written what you could call quote unquote songs in the past, but they've they've not really been more than living in you know, either my guitar case or the piano bench uh, for mm. the most part. So I knew that when I wanted to do this, I needed to find somebody who, one, was daring enough to sort of jump into this with me and also um, had more of a background in that than I did because I, I never took music theory or song compositions, you know. So, you know, finding... Uh, Marina Altschiller, who I worked with um, composing the music, and she did a large portion of that. That was, in my mind, necessary uh, if I took care of more of the dialogue and the character from the the script portion, the text, and then we sort of worked together to create sort of the musical trajectory of the show. Definitely rewards and challenges in uh, co-writing a piece, whether it is a musical or a regular script, which, um, you know, maybe we can get into a little bit more on that. But like, so you start with the script, you had your, your script from your movie version. Could you maybe like give us a, you know, a brief summary of the plot for anybody that's not familiar with the piece? This piece revolves primarily around, you know, three young couples, all kind of at different stages in the relationship and life, but at the center is a child situation. So it's it's both about facing the challenges of parenthood, but also kind of growing up yourself and the sort of sacrifices and the challenges you have to make along the way to do that. At the time when I wrote it, you know, I was in a relationship, but I had come out maybe about three years, you know, prior and sort of tackling the idea of what it meant to be LGBT and also what it meant to be a parent and also LGBT because, you know, obviously things have progressed somewhat incrementally in the past 10 years, but it's still uh, something that I think, you know, maybe people question or struggle with, like, how how do you have those identities? Um, And that was sort of the hallmark for what I wanted to explore. And then also I think it became more about the challenge of pursuing dreams and being sort of selfish um, in that world. And can you still do that and have a whole life as at the same time as devoting your attention to, to raising, you know, another person. 
and helping them through the world. Definitely something that is 100%, I think, both topical and relatable for people in their 20s and 30s, as well as something I'm sure you're, you know, you got an older crowd there that can reflect back upon their struggles with these challenges. So it's great that you've got a piece that can uh, reach you know, multiple audiences. So how has the script evolved from, you know, the film you created 10, 12 years ago to the show that exists now? It's evolved in, in many ways, but the basic tenets and structure of the characters are there. I think what, you know, Marina and myself brought into it with the music was creating an, uh, an additional layer to, you know, what was going on in these characters' minds when they weren't speaking dialogue because you know a lot I, i've heard a lot about you know people burst into song and musicals when they can't say what they feel they don't know how to process it and so that was sort of where we went with a lot of the songs is more of an internal um understanding of what they were going through at that particular moment in time and also i think just with this being a new work and it's still being developed i feel like we're at the very um beginning stages of this uh you know whatever whatever happens with it but the cast that we had really sort of came on board and they affected the characters and their choices just as much as i was sort of molding that world so it was a really symbiotic uh, mm-hmm. relationship and that they trusted me enough to sort of go with it and, and make choices and risks that were surprising and maybe not something i'd thought of for example one of the couples is slightly older than the other uh, four. They have a young son. The husband was a musician. The wife uh, had dreams of being a Broadway actress, but those are sort of cut short by her becoming a mother. And she, you know, delved into community and regional repertory theater, but was never quite satisfied. So she makes a, a you know, pretty severe choice to sort of extricate herself from that life to try and make it in New York. And part of the struggle and the challenge with, with those characters is, is to not have her get everything she wanted, like have her cake and eat it too. I think there had to be some sort of, I don't want to say cost, whenever you make a choice or decision, there's an equal, equal and opposite reaction, right? So mm. originally it, it had ended with them sort of agreeing to separate but it wasn't working. And I remember working with Nicole Jones and and, and Jake Ranlett uh, in the rehearsal room and really just saying, you know what, this needs to be switched. So we switched some lines around and gave them to Jake. And it really sort of created more of a nuance to that relationship. And I don't think that would have existed or it would have taken me quite a bit longer to do without the contributions of trying to make um, this relationship believable and work on the stage. Workshopping a new piece is one of my favorite things to do. You know, Q zero has a big emphasis on creating new. uh, And a lot of times we try to make that new script. So like when you are workshopping piece, you say, you know, you get some feedback from the actors. Could you maybe go into like a little bit more detail from your process? Cause I know like I have a way I like to try to do things when I'm working on a piece and it can differ. You know, do you just watch them in rehearsal, take notes and go home from that? Do you ask them questions? Are you somebody that likes improv exercise? is, you know, kind of dive in a little bit more of your process when you're looking for specifically feedback from an actor. It's important to listen to the person inhabiting your world, especially if it's a world that you are 
creating and responsible for because I think you can get a little tone deaf and stuck in, no, this is the way it has to be said and I want it to be said this way. And there are certainly times when that argument is is valid. Uh, and when I was younger and just starting out, I was very much, you know, it has to be the words in my head. In terms of my process with this, listening is definitely something that I would do and seeing how they would say certain things and also based on like initially what we had done in beginning rehearsals is, you know, take each couple. So, you know, two, two and two and sort of walk through these characters and the relationship and sort of free, you know, free float and improv. Like, who are these people off off the page? Like, what do they do? Where do they exist? Where's the the middle ground between that and, and, and the text? And then sort of things we saw them do in rehearsal, I would go home and I would write an entirely different version of that scene. And they got used to that at, at a certain point and were kind enough to sort of go with it uh, because my intuition is that, you know, this is a piece that's grounded in reality. And the more it can be in that space, I think the actor has an incredible insight into what these people would and wouldn't and and would not do they definitely inspired me maybe even more than i expected to sort of meld these characters to be a little similar to them in real life and again they trusted me to do that you know when you're workshopping something and you do look for the actor input they end up leaving a stamp on something and you know i guess it also you know depends on your process if you have a very rigid writer that you know creates these characters and you know play them as they're on the page versus an actor's writer or whatnot now when you're you know sharing the directing and creating responsibilities with marina originally this was just your baby and then it becomes a two-person project i mean i know you said she was kind of more focusing on the music what's it like having to give up some of that control and um, how do you guys? How did you guys go about sharing the responsibilities? Yes, it is definitely challenging to work with another person and, and and like you said, and share some of those vision type responsibilities. I believe wholeheartedly in collaboration. I think that I do my best work when someone else is also pulling at the reins, and as long as we are in sync, um, we can find some sort of compromise. I won't say that like being in New York and having it, you know, be my first real directing experience on stage that there weren't sort of rough patches, but you know, Marina is incredibly adept at what she does and you know, she stepped in in ways um, where she would sort of help close and fuse those gaps uh, together, especially working with the music and getting, you know, the actors into that zone and figuring out voice types and you know musically tempos and things that I know I'm aware of but I'm not well versed in but then she sort of you know she stepped back and she you know let me lead the sort of text portion and the character relationships and and you know helped out with blocking here and there because trying to block uh, six people in a, in a number even though there's no dancing to me was like a Rubik's Cube I've always been one of the belief that like when you're looking for feedback on your work when somebody tells you something isn't working they're usually right and when somebody tells you something isn't working and exactly how to fix it they're usually wrong when you're co-collaborating on something like that there will be moments i'm sure where you both had you both identified a problem and had two different solutions now did you have like a 
understanding that one of you had veto power or was it always about trying to find compromise? Like I said, when I went into this, I went into it pretty much openly saying, you know, I, I need help musically trying to bring this to life, following her, her lead. And so we'd go through like where songs would be needed or we thought songs would would um, elevate things. And then mostly she would go and write the melody and we would write some lyrics together and then we would piece things together. And that was really one of the best parts of the process was sort of organically creating this whole other world of this story that had been in my head for you know almost a decade at that point her outlook and insight into certain characters and where they would be like you know there are probably things that she wrote or or brought from her experience that maybe i would have done differently but i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm saying it's such a gift because but also it's a lot of trust when you're you're taking characters that you've you've lived with and sort of letting someone else play around with them you know i think um that's why I love television so much and why, you know, that was sort of my my goal for for many years is because of the collaborative process. You're you're actually living in, you know, someone else's world and expanding it. Um, I think that there's something incredibly uh, exciting about that. But I think we both had different strengths, even uh, musically. You know, I, I think I tend to write um, a pretty solid ballad, but I, I have a hard time doing a lot of other things. So I have a lot of the introspective um, approach to, to lyrics and music and Marina, you know, has is a little more adept uh, at things like that. For example, we had one scene where there's a young married couple and she sort of, you know, has this challenge or trajectory with, should I pursue art? Should I give it up because I'm pregnant? And there's one scene and they have a song and it was again, a very pretty ballad. And we're like, we have so many of these and we have such a talented and versatile cast. And I think that alone, plus, you know, what would these characters be doing at this moment in time? Like, why don't we just have them be more energetic and have more of an argument? And so, you know, we would write a song and the actors would get it, you know, a week before we go into tech. We tried not to do that um, very much, but it did happen. But I think that's the agreement that most people make when you come into a new work is that, yes, it's going to be a little rough and there are going to be changes. And are you willing to go along and trust that process? And if you do that, I will inherently give my trust to you and listen, because I think overall the instinct of the actor is right, even though they might be interpreting something wrong. Uh, or differently, it's important to stop and go, oh, you know what? That's true. I know when <laughs> I know when I'm going to fight a losing battle. So let's figure a way to, to solve the problem. With this being your first musical, what sort of other resources did you consult? Like, was there like books you enjoyed or did you seek out other composers or writers that had created musicals before? Like, what did you, you know, use for guidance or tools? You know, when Marina and I first went through the show, looking for like the musical uh, language of it is going through composers that we both enjoyed and figuring out, uh, you know, people like Jason Robert Brown or, you know, Pasek and Paul, more contemporary um, style, I think, and figuring out, you know, hey, we want this kind of sound here. How do we get that? And what are they doing musically to do that? Um, so a lot of it was really like finding reference points from both our musical paths and 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 our own um trajectory and saying yeah i think this is this kind of song try and take that kernel and and you know go and create something completely different but based on a, an idea like this is a sound this is a mood this is the sort of 
harmonies we want to try and get like within this song like how can we do that and how did they do it uh because you know she and i were learning this uh as we as we went I, th- I find that's the best way to go about things is kind of learning on your feet and i mean especially w- when the company has a name like dive in uh, i believe that's got to be part of their philosophy too yeah it's it's built in branding right there i think <laughs> i, I kind of want to jump around a little bit here just because that's how my brain works you talked about that you've got a big background in film and television so like what have you found to be the biggest differences between the mediums i know like the most cliche answer is that, you know, the film is a director's medium and the stage is a writer's medium. But like, what to you are the biggest differences between creating for the screen and versus creating for the stage? Film is very visual. Um, And not to say that stage and theater is not, I think it's incredibly visual, but it's, it's a constructed artifice in front of you, right? And I think where you point the camera, you are also doing that, but you're determining where the audience focus goes, right? When you're on stage, especially like, you know, an open area like the player's ring, you, you can't really hide completely transitions and things that are going on where, in, you know, as editing a film together, you could do that and direct the audience's focus. You know, hopefully you have people following where the performers are, not where there's a scene change going on. And then... You know, television and writing, you know, TV pilot scripts or or, or things of that nature, uh, you know, it's a little closer to theater, at least on the writing side, at least in terms of the style that I tend to fall in, um, where the dialogue is uh, sometimes stylized or it's more present. I like shows that are very minimal and hold back in dialogue, but I am just not that kind of writer. I feel like I fit in the world of Amy Sherman Palladino, like a Gilmore Girls. Uh, that's just kind of where my head tends to go. And so on the stage, I feel like it's a little more open to have moments like that. You know, And I would tell actors this too, because a lot of the people I had worked with doing independent films around New Hampshire have been from the theater world. Um, and so trying to get their head around the fact that there's a camera, your camera is the audience and you don't have to project as much as you might have to in a larger space, you can do more with less. And on the stage, I think the audience is right there with you. So you can be bigger. You can also choose your moments a little more rigidly, but the shared experience of being in an arena with the people who are watching this uh, is is much more visceral than watching a film. I mean, obviously can be emotionally affected by a film or a television show, but there's a removal process when you're sitting in a theater. When we remember those times, uh, there's a there's a very there's no disconnect. I mean, you're you're there with the person and they are singing or they are emoting or they're having feelings, and so that sort of the effect that had on me just even watching the show was was um enlightening to say the least so as far as like when you're workshopping a piece i'm sure you get feedback from a number of places and it's all valuable but for different reasons now you know we kind of talked a little bit about actor feedback but in what other places did you look for specifically with this piece uh did you solicit like an audience survey did you bring in other directors or writers to either like look or write at the piece or you know what were you using as sources and like what do you get from them that you might not get from the actors reaching out to you know people um who i have connections with um even from the the film world or you know friends back in los angeles and say hey can you can you um you know take a look at this and tell me am i on the right track or do you have other suggestions or other theater 
uh, people, you know, artistic directors or, you know, where I currently work at Merrimack Repertory Theater, really, really talking about like, what is the process of dramaturge and like developing new material? Because, you know, I think musicals, I've been told, and I assume just based on the amount of work, have a longer gestation process than probably a straight play because there are multiple components. You have the text of the script itself, and then you also have the music and songs are being cut and songs are being changed. And that's kind of where we are in the process right now, you know, kind of furthering this. Feedback's important. I think it's certainly helpful to have other people's suggestions and perceptions of what they picked up watching it versus having been so immersed in it. And then also realizing that you kind of put them into piles, right? You realize like, okay, that's a legitimate critique and that's something that I have to sort of noodle around in my head and figure out how do I make this work? And then also like, what are the limit, what are the concerns based on the limitations of the technical process or the funds or like, how can we take those and make them be more tangible? Like the, the, the show, it isn't, isn't told linearly. There are lots, there are shows like that, but when you do something like that, you, you do, you know, have to have an audience that is paying attention, but also you want to provide them with enough visual material where they are getting lost in trying to figure out all of the, it's like that meme with that woman trying to figure out all the, the math mm. equations. <laughs> you, you want to create like a compromise between the vision you have in your head. And then also thinking beyond like, I'm hopefully this won't, I won't be the only person. This won't be the only cast to try and put the show on. Like how do we set a future production up for success and give them the basic parameters what can we codify in the the visual elements of the show just as, just as much as the text and the music where they can put it on and, and you know, someone's not walking out going, I have no idea what happened. And if that happened, that's fine. But like, cause I, I read for, there was a whole uh, tweet storm that Jason Robert Brown uh, did about the process of developing the last five years. And of course this is a show that takes place, you know, non-linearly like the, the guy moves, uh, or, you know, she was backwards. And so, and they meet in the middle. Um, and he said, you know, we did these workshops, we tried all these set pieces and, and, and nothing was working. He's like, at some point you just have to say, this is the show and people will find a way to make it work. And so I think there's a middle ground between that whole argument and, and, and trying to set the, the world of the, the, the show up for success so that it can stand on its feet. Definitely agree that the audience feedback, I think most of all, can be a double-edged sword. You know, they can tell you what they liked and what worked and where they were confused, but then sometimes they just give you, and I don't want to be pooping all over our general audience members, but sometimes they just give really, you'd never thought somebody would say something feedback. I remember I've done a number of post-show things for both, um, you know, for like original work and gotten some interesting comments that didn't really have to do with anything. And then I'll never forget when we were doing, uh, when we did Next to Normal, we did, after one show, we did a mental health talk back and half the questions or comments we were getting sounded like we wrote the show. And they were trying to, like, give us feedback on, like, workshopping the script. And I'm like, this show won the Pulitzer. We're not writing it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is about mental health. But, you know, so, again, you know, it can be you're right. You got to have two piles. The like, hey, thanks for coming. And the oh, I'm actually going to listen to this pile. I have very similar to you. Um a, a mixed feeling about audience reactions and and 
and I say that with love coming from an, being an audience person myself, obviously many times, but I, I remember like when I was in LA, I would love to go to, to, to film panels, right. Cause they would have the directors and Scorsese would be there and Jake Gyllenhaal and, and all these people that, you know, you have kind of at your fingertips to sit and have a moderated panel. And for the most part, the moderators had their questions and, and, and they were sort of leading discussion when you open it up to, audience it's a pandora's box because most of the time and obviously it's slightly different because you're dealing with quote-unquote celebrity but an audience person wants to tell you how they felt about it how they specifically were moved or not moved and a lot of the times it isn't helpful it's just sort of this right. is my opinion they'll be like oh you know that scene really reminded me of my dad thanks for writing that scene that reminded me of my dad Right. So they, like, there, there's a time and uh, place for that, but I don't find, I don't find those particularly useful when going back to an original work and trying to, I don't understand what this particular response means to me trying to revise a scene or figure out, is this line working? I think where I like focus groups are great. Um, having people with a shared collective where they are there, they have a reason for, you know, watching or, or picking apart something that didn't make uh, sense to them. And those are places where there's a little more guided response from the audience versus just, I like this. I didn't like this. My dad liked this. That great. But like <laughs> my <laughs> yeah. personal preference is, I want to go to a show. I don't really necessarily want to share my personal feelings about the show unless I'm particularly moved and, and want to do that, but not in a, in a, in an audience. setting. Oh yeah. I hear you. And I mean, focus groups ruined the movie version of my favorite musical, little shop of horrors where they're like, ah, oh, the ending was depressing. Let's change it. I'm glad, glad that same focus group didn't go to West side story or, Romeo and Juliet or, you know, anything else that had an unhappy ending. At the end of the day, it's, it's your story. You get to decide this is the way that I want it to be. That's it. And whatever happens with the show. And if you're, if your choice was a wrong one, that's what you'll have to live with. But at some point you're going to have to say, you know what? I don't really feel like revising the scene anymore. This is the scene I, that it's going to be. And if future audiences have a problem with it, oh, well, I'll just have to take my chances. You started to touch upon it, and I wanted to get a, a little bit more into it. You know, I did catch the performance at the Players Ring, and as you mentioned, it has a non-linear story. The scenes are out of order. There are, you know, you used uh, some technical elements and other things to help make that clearer to the audience when different things were taking place. Uh, is there a particular reason why you thought this story needed to be told out of order? And then building off of that, what were the unique challenges and rewards of doing a nonlinear story for the stage? It was the, the way that the story uh, came to me. They're, it's a pretty conventional story. I mean, the, the stakes are relationships. They are, you know, should I pursue this dream or not pursue this dream? You know, I'm 
unexpectedly expecting sooner than I thought it would be. What does that do to my life? You know, I'm gay and my partner um, has a child from a previous relationship. And how do I feel about that? I think to me, trying to tell that story from point A to point B in a linear fashion, it wasn't interesting because I, I've seen that story before. Breaking it up into sections of, you know, basically a year in their, in their lives, to me, was more thematic than a physical, like, this is important that it's nine months ago, or this is important that it's six months ago. To me, I was lumping the scenes together thematically. So what was going on in these couples' lives sort of paralleled each other. And that, to me, was the way that the story had to unfold. There, of course, are challenges to do that, right? I mean, even when I filmed the movie and you have title cards and you have transitions, you know, people still trying to follow, trying to pick apart, you know, when did this happen? Whatever. Like if you're spending so much time on that, then like I didn't entirely do my job, but also that's annoying <laughs> uh, because when you start to pick apart any show that deals with, with time, you, you got to find a point somewhere where, where things might not make sense or they, or they stick with you. So the, the hope is that you're emotionally engaged enough where you're not trying to figure it out in the middle of a, of a production going, wait, what happened? So the challenges, you know, trying to do that on the stage are many, especially with limited budget and, and limited um, space. Uh, and also with it being an original work, there's really nothing to go off of. There's no foundation. So it's kind of like we had a plan and, you know, working with, with Megan uh, Flynn, the, the tech director, really coming up with how do we signify time? And so our version in the and the player's ring was, you know, we had these sort of shadow boxes and our set was very minimal. But I think looking back on it, you know, in hindsight, trying to figure out ways where we can um, make sure that those cue points are seen and they're part of the set, but they're not so much a part of it that people aren't noticing to pay attention. Well, if it makes you feel better as someone who is a self-admitted and also called several times uh, nitpicky asshole when it comes to the minor details of things, I thought it everything tracked well, uh, had no issues figuring out when things took place, and uh, despite searching, you know, didn't find too much, too, anything that stood out to me as like an anachronism or like a, hey, wait, they couldn't have known that yet or, you know, whatnot. So I thought it was uh, really well done. Hello, Q0 fans. Q0 business advisor and performer Jake Ranlett here, interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast to talk about Q0 sponsorship and membership. As I'm sure you know, theater is really expensive, and we cannot survive on ticket sales alone, which is why we have these two awesome programs that not only allow Q0 to continue to revolutionize the performing arts scene in New Hampshire, but has incredible benefits for you as well. Sponsors get their name and logo in our playbill, on our posters, mentioned in our podcasts, listed on our press releases, and so much more. We go out of our way to make sure everyone knows about you and thanks you for helping make Q0 possible. We also have our membership program for individuals who want a little bit more bang for their buck and a lot more Q0 in their lives. We have 10 different levels of membership, starting as low as $2 a month. Every level of membership comes with awesome perks, such as early access to the Q0 Theater cast, discounts on tickets and merchandise, exclusive behind-the-scenes video content, 
the ability to read our New Works blog, and so much more. The more you give, the more you get. If you want to be a vital part of the Q0 revolution, head on over to cztheater.com and click the Support CZT link to become a sponsor or a member today. And now, back to the podcast. Now, in, like, rehearsals and workshop, did you guys ever do a, a linear run just to kind of track? And, like, what did that what did that teach you when you were, um, you know, actually ran the scenes in chronological order? What did it teach me? Interesting. Um, we, let me backtrack a second. Yes, we did, we did do chronological for the actors specifically because they were getting, like, where are we in time and do I have my wedding ring on? And what so, like, that was a, a good lesson for me to be like, oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. You want to figure out point A to point B where you where your track is i know these characters so well that i'm like uh, it doesn't really matter but it's okay from their perspective it matters very much so what do they learn uh interesting i mean if i'm gonna be nitpicky myself that there are there are some like traveling things where one person's here and then is here in another in the present day and um i'm like well that happened rather fast but you know what i'm not gonna worry about it i'm not gonna unpack it enough because i don't have a solution <laughs> other than this is what it is but it was interesting to hear it from this is the start of your story this is the end of your story let's hear it in order um and i'm sure that i found some moments where i needed to tweak things or make sure things were clearer um based on you know listening to the scenes happen in in chronological um and then putting them back where we wanted them to be yeah i now I, I personally have never had to do any like rehearsals like that but i did one time i was in a eugene o'neill piece that 70 percent of the script were like character inner monologues and we once did a, a whole run of the show where you had to pause where the inner monologues were but we didn't actually say them like you just said them in your head so you would get used to like, I didn't hear what this person just said because that was in their head. And that was just like, it was a great thing to do from a, like an actor's perspective. But while we were doing it, it was like the most miserable rehearsal I've ever been a part of because it's just like, are they done? This Okay, this monologue can usually take anywhere from, you know, four minutes to ten minutes. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to continue with the dialogue or whatnot, but you're right. Um, you know, having these things help the actors track their story and things. What sort of comments did you get from the actors, like for them in the chat, like a challenge of playing a part, not non-linear, keeping the relationships in check and things Did like, do people have to have like a, t a timeline or something or like, what did, what, what sort of things did you do to help the actors, uh, when it came to, you know, keeping the time and relationships straight? Everyone had their own process and sort of realization that they were in a in a production that was non-linear and also an original work so they were trying to wrap their heads around it too you know in the green room before the show like you know printing out like a timeline here's a timeline of the show here it is from point a to point b in the time periods where they happen not, not only for just you know practical reasons like costuming but just for them to get a sense of like emotionally like this is where i am in this particular scene and and, and things just like there are some moments where we're in present day and the same character does you know a very quick change and is in a past moment of themselves so trying to get their heads around this is where i am now uh i have to take my wedding ring off or i have to put it on i think they all had their own little moments of trying to create a, a chronological um, track for them that made 
that made sense. And we, we would get sometimes confused as well. I mean, you, like there were uh, the song I mentioned before that we had rewritten um, to be more of an argument. There were some lyrics that mentioned a child and I was like, wait, like in a way, all the way up through, you know, they learned the song, we blocked the song. And I was like, you know, this isn't, she's not pregnant here. <laughs> uh, and luckily it's like, an, it's a relatively easy fix lyrically to do. Um, but, you know, even we caught ourselves up with like, oh, right. In this moment, she's not pregnant. Mm. So it doesn't change the tone of the song, but it's just lyrically, we had to make a slight uh, adjustment, which, you know, was also interesting. I mean, I really only have one other question on my uh, list, and I just kind of be- wanted to know, beyond the hat box, uh, you know, assuming that that production does get to go up once uh, everything's settled down, what's your hopeful future for some holiday like do you want to take it to a festival do you want to pass it off to somebody else and you know not you know just kind of show hopefully show up opening night and see what it looks like like what are your what are your dreams and hopes for this piece beyond uh, you know your next production of it i think it's kind of multifaceted i mean i i our plans are in place to sort of record uh, an album of some of the songs it, they're also necessary if you want to submit to festivals or any sort of fellowships that develop new works you kind of need some sort of recording to go along with your your script so that was sort of in our pipeline fleshing out musically like adding instruments to the pit um to sort of flesh out the sound and you know obviously uh in terms of having to produce it making it affordable uh especially at this level of of theater um because because that can rack up your production costs um and rightfully so, but you know, within within reason. Continuing to work the piece and probably put it in some sort of development or festival, whatever, and and see what trajectory happens there. I, basically, it needs to be seen by people and uh, who have influence, who have the ability to continue its life. Um, you need somebody who wants to take an interest in it, uh, I think financially and also, you know, kind of with their connections. And I, I think those things I take one day at a time because they are sort of out of my my purview. I'm talking with the artistic director at MRT and she was sort of giving me advice on, you know, where to go and basically saying, you know, shows take a long time. You're, you're in the very beginning gestation period. Um, so anything could happen. But, you know, I think right now I'm looking at the team I have assembled and how far they, they are willing and want to take uh, this particular project. Because I do feel at this point they have as much stake in it almost as I do in terms of developing it, which is really cool. It becomes something that's outside of you. As for your question of eventually someone else taking this on, I will have a hard time. But I feel like that's an inevitable at some point. And I think hopefully when that point comes, if it comes, I'll, I'll have some, some peace over letting someone else potentially do it even better. So <laughs> that's always my fear. So hopefully when I come opening night, I will be like, all right, cool. If people want to learn more about yourself and or some holiday, where's the best place for them to go? You can find some holiday on Facebook. They search uh, some holiday musical. Um, we have a website, which is someholidaymusical.com. We're also producing, uh, posting stuff over at Dive In Productions. You can find them at Dive In Theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E. We have another um, a virtual choir coming up with one of the songs from, from the show that people contributed to during this time. So I'm excited about premiering that um, and getting the show back in people's 
attention span when it's appropriate. Justin, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a, a great chat. Uh, hopefully we can both have you on the podcast again in the future, uh, as well as, you know, maybe find a, a co-collaboration uh, between yourself and Q0 sometime in the future. I look forward to it. I enjoyed the conversation. So always good talking to you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you one final time to Justin for that incredibly insightful look into his process of creating an original musical, Some Holiday. Again, they're hoping to bring that show to the Hatbox Theater as soon as we are allowed to be having shows again. I hope all of our listeners learned something about the creative process. And if you enjoyed that, our next episode, we're going to be talking to Justin's co-collaborator, the person that was in charge of more of the music, Marina Alstetter, as she will give us some insight into the process of creating music for a musical a little bit more in-depth, the theory behind that, and as well as being able to talk about you know what it's like when you come into a project where the script's already been written and you need to add to it so we can kind of get the other side of the coin. So I'm very excited for that interview. And if you are listening to this episode on the morning that we released it, Friday, June 12th, well, I want to make sure that you get one final reminder that coming up tonight at 7 p.m. via Facebook Live and YouTube Live, we will be having our first fully digital performance, a series of inelastic collisions. It's an original play being read by actors from all over New Hampshire and We are really looking forward. It's a very powerful piece, very timely, and I think everybody will get something out of it. We're also hoping to get some feedback from both the actors and our audience members so that the playwright can continue to develop this piece and then possibly start turning it into a full production. So please support that. It's 100% free. You're not going to want to miss it, and it'll give us an idea of how we can move forward with creating even more digital live performances. We are also starting on Monday, June 15th, our interviews with our directors to try to find somebody that has a great passion project and wants to be a part of our 2021 season, season three for Q0. It's not too late to throw your hat in the ring, so if you are a director with a show that you believe it personifies the pillars that Q0 has been built upon, new, challenging, and growth, please shoot us an email with a letter of introduction as soon as possible along with the show you'd like to pitch and we will set up an interview because we are going to be interviewing until we find at least one show that we want to add to our 2021 season. If we find more, even better, you know, we want this to be a season of new people working with us and taking a lot of challenges and risks as well as helping grow the art scene and the uh, quality of the artists here in the southern New Hampshire area. Stay tuned to social media for more information about our upcoming digital summer. We are still looking to try to put that seven-hour playwriting festival I talked about last week on the docket, so if you are a playwright looking for a fun little easy, low-commitment challenge, please reach out. Once we get like three or four playwrights lined up for that, we will get rolling with that project. And if you'd like to be some of the first people informed about how you get to be involved with Q0's projects, head on over to cztheater.com, click the Get Involved tab, and add yourself to our artist database as we are start searching for talent for these summer digital projects. Hopefully we'll be announcing our auditions for Heather's The Musical soon, 
and we are going to start putting together our team for Shakespeare in the Ballpark, which will be taking place September 20th at Northeast Delta Dental Stadium. We are partnering with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats to bring Romeo and Juliet to left field. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to really make it more of a goofy comedy uh, farce than your traditional Romeo and Juliet tragedy. So you're not going to want to miss that. And I'd like to, most importantly, thank all of our sponsors, members, donors, and supporters, everybody that makes Q0 possible, Loon Chocolate, Chef Sean Harris, NH Tunes, Greg Powers Keller Williams, Creva Academy Public Charter School, Jupiter Hall, Lori Pelletier, Alex Bazes, as well as all of our other members and supporters who give money through Patreon, Fractured Atlas, and all of our other avenues. Make sure you check out our membership program. Well, that's really all I've got to say. I am starving and want to go make my lunch and then maybe enjoy this beautiful weather that we're having. I'll go for a walk uh, before I start uh, planning the rest of my week. But um, thank you all for listening. This has been Artistic Director Dan Pelletier. And as we always say here at the Q-Zero Theatre Cast, support local theatre and join the revolution. 